Welcome, everyone, to Politics Express, the Postwriter's General Interest Politics Podcast. I'm your host, the Postwriter's new politics editor. That's right, it's now a politics vertical, Lars Emerson. This is our first episode of 2022. It's a big midterm year. So, we're going to be talking about the most macro approach to the year and the midterm ahead uh, that we can kind of take. We're looking at the four scenarios for how this year ends. Electorally speaking, we don't know if there will be like a giant hurricane that wipes out the country <laughs> or, you know, COVID 2022. Who knows? I mean, at the rate we're going. Right. But electorally, there's only probably four ways this can go. Uh, so we're going to do that. And then we will end, of course, with our new recurring in our lifetime segment. Uh, you just heard his voice. But of course, here with me to discuss is the Post Writers editor in chief, Mike Levito. Hello, hello. Uh, how's it going, Mike? It's it's going all right. Um, it's awfully cold. Well, it's actually pretty warm today, but it's been. We had a very very mild winter in the Northeast, um, but the the cold has come back with a vengeance these past few days. You know we're getting old when Mike and I are now talking about the weather in the middle of a podcast. Uh, or, or I have nothing else to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Mike and I have a number of midterm-related project projects coming out this year on the Post Writer, but uh, we felt that giving a top-line probability and kind of general assessment of the race uh, for control of the Senate and the House was most appropriate this early in the year. Remember, we still do not know who will be the nominees in most of these races for control of the two chambers of Congress. So I'm going to set the scene, Mike. There are four ways that control of the federal government could look as we end 2022. Uh, Of course, the White House will be controlled by Democrats. That will not change unless Mm -hmm. something very catastrophic happened. Um, But the four ways, realistically, the federal government could look different is scenario one, what we've called the status quo scenario, and that is Democrats keep control of the, the House and control of the Senate. There you go. That's your status quo. Scenario two is the 2018 inverse, and that is the opposite of what happened in 2018, is Republicans take the House, but Democrats keep the Senate. And in 2018, of course, Republicans kept the Senate but lost the House. Scenario three we've called, wait, what? <laughs> because it is unfathomably unlikely and that is that democrats keep the house but have lost the senate uh we'll unpack why that's not going to happen later i I, hot take i think i i probably think it's more likely to happen than you do you you probably do um (laughs) then scenario four is the red wave and that is uh republicans sweep and take control of the house and the senate at the end of the year so what we're going to go do is uh, go through and talk about how each scenario could come to pass, assign a rough probability to each, and what it would mean for the next two years in the country. Let's get started with our first scenario, Mike. That's the status quo, in which after an incredibly expensive and arduous campaign, control of the House and Senate remain under Democratic hands. How did this happen? Well, it happened because Joe Biden had one of the biggest political rebounds of any first-term president. Um his approval rating would have had to go up 
Uh, presumably this would be because he managed to get manages to get some form of the build back better bill passed. Um, perhaps even he gets some form of electoral reform or voting rights passed. Um, the uh, Omicron variant and any other pesky COVID variants um, sort of begin to recede and we sort of uh, sort of trudge ever closer in our two plus year uh, journey back to normal. And as a result, the economy rebounds. Um, I don't think any of that's out of the question. I think... I mean, to some extent, we're already seeing that. Yeah, exactly. Half well, but, but what we're just not seeing so far is a bounce back in Biden's polling numbers. I And I, what I will also say, though, is that I what I think some people underestimate... So Biden, um, you know, his polling is not very good. Let me pull up uh, 538 it, it, aggregated. It is about 42% approved today, 52.5% disapprove. Yes, and I believe the only person with, like, worse numbers at this point in their first term was Donald Trump. Yes. Um, so not exactly uh, great, but I do think that what people kind of underrate is that there could just be a lot of people who are like, you know what, I don't think Joe Biden's a very good president, but I hate the other option just, like, a lot, right? I feel like um, as f- I feel like the American voter is so fickle that they could h- hold the combined ideas of, like, I don't really like Joe Biden, but I also really don't like the Republicans and therefore would still vote for Republican at the senator house level. Right. I mean, that's kind of what I've been predicting for the last few months is like the thing Joe Biden could use most right now is if Trump like announced he was running. So I yeah. think his, his numbers jump 5% maybe overnight. If that happens, mm-hmm. um, you just have a pretty serious like rally back to the Democrats in that scenario. And, and, to, and to add to that, it's like, you know, people have been talking about Glenn Youngkin, who just took office as governor of Virginia, and, um, you know, what he did right to win in that very blue state, or fairly blue state. And I think, honestly, like, what, what you're seeing in these, like, Senate races and House races are candidates, like, not doing that, right? Right. Like, they have been emphasizing Trump a lot. There's a chance that you get a very divisive nominee in like pennsylvania or arizona or ohio or even honestly missouri like it is kind of in play depending who the nominee is um and so i think you know this and this kind of played out in like 2010 and 2012 where there were a lot of vulnerable democratic senators who ended up uh prevailing because their candidates were just very very poor nominees and so I, i think it's absolutely conceivable that we see something similar happen um and that is paired with um you know, what I'll also say, too, about the House is that, like, gerrymandering thus far in, like, Republican states has not been as bad as a lot of people thought it would be. And, in fact, the 538 model at this point, and keep in mind that not every state has approved their final congressional maps, actually, like, suggests there's a net gain in, in, in Democratic districts as opposed to Republican districts. Now, in, like, a, a, a Republican-leaning year, that doesn't really mean as much. But, you know, I, I think right. that... It has not been gerrymandering apocalypse. And in places like New York and Illinois and California, where they have an independent commission, like the congressional maps have been like very generous to Democrats. Right. I mean, I guess the corollary to that on the other side is the map before was already like the Democrats currently have a disadvantage. They have yeah. one. They needed to win you know, anywhere between two and 4%, depending on which model you go by above the popular vote 
to just win control of the House. Mm -hmm. Republicans have like a two to four point advantage just by default. And I think that's why Democrats losing the House is seen as somewhat of a foregone conclusion. It is it is just very unlikely that a party in power can sustain that kind of momentum. And I I think you're right. I think it takes Biden's numbers going back up to like 50 percent plus, which is a pretty dramatic turnaround in a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it, it could happen, but mm-hmm. let's talk probability. What odds do you give that? I think it has an 8% chance of happening. Ooh, very specific. I said 10%. So we're, we're about in the same, same ballpark there. Mm-hmm. Um, if this happens, what does it mean for, for the country, for Democrats, for Republicans? Uh, again, I think a lot of that is kind of hard to say until we know who a lot of these nominees are what i think it would indicate at one point is that i it would be that i think in some ways that both parties have kind of found their ceilings right you know we kind of had these realignments go on in 2016 and 2018 and 2020 where these traditionally republican suburbs all of a sudden voting for democrats um you had these white working class rural communities which were already skewing republican become much more republican and then you even had some communities of color specifically Hispanic communities in the Rio Grande Valley and um, Hispanic communities in South Florida and even some Asian American communities um, start to vote more and more for Republicans. And I think that, um, you know, with, I, th- I think it, it probably just means that, like, that we're, we're, and I think it means basically what 2020 meant, which was that we're very much in a stalemate, right? There's sort of, party has defined their base and they're not budgeting anytime soon and we're still just incredibly polarized it just so happens that because of the way the maps are drawn it, it happens to favor democrats in this instance because of like the relative power of the suburbs and urban areas i sort of disagree i think if democrats hold on to control of the house and senate it has been like presented by the press as such a foregone conclusion the democrats will at least lose the house that i think this would be if not a game changer, then like genuinely like shocking, right? It would be a pretty, it would be seen as a pretty massive repudiation of the Republican Party. And I think it'll be the first election since like January 6th, 2021, right? How in. Well, no, but it, it'll, the be first, the first. it'll be the first federal election. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it just goes back to like, oh my God, maybe Republicans are like completely missing the point and they've continued down this path and it's not working like maybe you see them start to go the opposite way if something like this happens well there's no way it's not seen what i I think you get more is um a lot of people saying a lot more people saying that their elections in urban baltimore or miramar florida were rigged well which is literally what has happened um sheila sherfilis mccormick who just took office she's uh replacing the, the late alcee hastings um, she's the first person to, t- to be sworn to Congress with both her primary opponent and her general election opponent claiming that they, that they actually won, right? This is just yeah. kind of like become somewhat of a new normal in American politics where we don't admit when we lose elections, which is right. bad. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to our next scenario, the 2018 inverse. That is Dems have kept the Senate and they have lost the House. Uh... How did that happen? Well, it happens because of it looks a lot like what happened in 2018 and 2010, where, um, <clears throat> you know, it's sort of an unpopular Democratic president 
and a, f- a few years of democratic rule into the Senate um, makes people uncomfortable with uh, democratic rule and they want to change. So they vote out a lot of people in swing districts and replace them with Republicans of Democrats because Democrats are the ones in charge right now and people are just kind of generally um, discontent with the current state of the world and the country. Um, but as far as the Democrats holding out to the Senate, it means that the Republicans probably run a bunch of very poor candidates. And also it just means that like uh, states like Georgia, Arizona, Nevada are blue and getting bluer. And it probably even means that Democrats pick up a seat or two in uh, Pennsylvania or Wisconsin or something like that as well. It um, This is like, as far as the Senate map goes, I actually think it's a pretty friendly Democratic one. Um, not it could not the friendly as possible, but like pretty friendly in the sense that um, they're defending in a lot of states that Biden won and actually are on the offense in two states that Biden won. Granted, two very, very purple states that Biden won, but there's opportunity there nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, I think from a top line, the Senate is just so much stickier than the House. You only have a third of the chamber up. Um, and because it is statewide, each time is you can have a situation where like, you know, 80% of the country votes one way, but I mean, this state still elects one Senator. So like Republicans gained <laughs> that seat. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Senate is just disproportionately, uh, it's more disproportional than the house, which is the most yeah. obvious thing I've ever said, but that yes. Um, and yeah, like you said, I, I even wrote down the same thing. It's like poor candidates. You have poor candidates mm-hmm. in Arizona, uh, Georgia, Nevada, uh, possibly Pennsylvania or Wisconsin, which it sounds like they already do have a poor candidate who will probably win. Ron Johnson is the <laughs> Republican incumbent who promised he would not seek a third term and now is. Um, I, I see no way this happens unless, uh, you know, Democrats can like scrap or or just outright win in nevada georgia and arizona i think those are the three yeah yeah going if they lose one of those it's over Um, yes unless they also win in pennsylvania wisconsin but if you're winning in pennsylvania wisconsin you're probably already winning in those states as well right right um and i just think their incumbents in georgia arizona and nevada are a lot stronger than like if one of them goes down it's not a good sign it could happen I definitely mm-hmm. think it could happen. What uh, what probability do you give something like this happening? 44%. Oh, get out. I said 45. <laughs> oh. Um, nice. I, I guess in terms of what it would mean, um, you know, it, it would be a rebuke. I mean, people see mm-hmm. the 2018 election as a rebuke of Trump, even though he gained a seat in the Senate. Um. And yeah, you lose basically all legislative power, but because Republicans take the House, um, but at least Biden gets to continue in his nominations. (laughs) Yeah, well, so it's interesting, right? Like, I think so in the status quo situation, like, that's like a celebration if you're Democrats, right? Right. It's like, we've defied recent history. We've done what has basically been impossible to do in the post-Cold War era, pretty much, right? Yeah. Um, and we've held on to both houses of Congress while we have an incumbent president. Um, I think in this situation, it, it's like, a, it's a sigh of relief, right? Like, it's certainly not a victory, but it's, it feels a little bit more like a tie, I think, because 
Biden can still get his appointments, very importantly, judicial appointments through. Right. Um, and you're like, hey, you know what? Okay, this is like not awesome. But at the same time, same thing happened to Bill Clinton. Same thing happened to Barack Obama. And they ended up getting reelected. Right. Right. Um, I, I think that there there would be some there. They, they, they would not be in total disaster mode if that happened. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree. I, I think the other... I mean, the thing worth mentioning at this point is um, who has the power of congressional... Uh, of setting congressional agendas and hearings and issuing subpoenas is important. And this yeah. is why I don't give a lot of credence to people who are very like, we'd be better off without Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema. You are wrong. You <laughs> would not have, you know... <laughs> potentially 2.9 trillion dollars in spending let alone a ton of cabinet and judicial nominees all of which like they have been completely for by the way uh you would also see republicans subpoenaing biden officials and hosting oversight hearing after oversight hearing week after week like this is the power of uh, (laughs) uh calling people before you and being able to have a hearing on whatever you want is not an insignificant one no. um, and it helps when congress is on your side i just ask hillary clinton you don't want to be there for like a 12-hour hearing in front of a committee set up basically just to get rid of you <laughs> yeah exactly um all right let's quickly move into our third scenario the wait what scenario <laughs> um and that is democrats have now lost the senate but they have kept control of the house um I have a very specific theory about how this could happen. Okay. My theory is, so Democrats have created two very, very efficient uh, redistricting maps in both uh, (laughs) Nevada, which has four congressional districts, and uh, New Mexico, which has three. Mm uh, and Oregon t- to some degree as well, which has six. And th- they've basically set it up so that if they win in these states, uh, they've created a bunch of like a D plus one districts in these states, right? Yeah. Um, where it's like if you win in these states and it's a like genuinely good year for the party in those states, you will win like 10 seats. Mm-hmm. However, if it is a medium year or a year in which Republicans win a lot more, you lose basically all your Democrats in those seats. That is a very efficient way to like rack up points. It's also very like I got to imagine like Dina Titus is like pissed. Oh yeah, it's gotta be. It's like a little dangerous for all these incumbents. I mean, pretty appropriate it's happening in Nevada because it's definitely like a gamble. Like, right, right. It is. Um, uh, yeah. It it is a very efficient way to do this, right? So if you could see a scenario where like uh, <laughs> the Reed machine kicks back in gear. And Catherine Cortez Masto, you know, wins re-election to the Senate and, like, takes all these down-ballot House people with her and, like, racks up three seats right there that should have gone to Republicans. Um, and you can see kind of the same thing happening in New Mexico, uh, even though, you know, Democrats lose in Georgia, a Senate seat in Georgia or something like that. That's yeah, my theory I, of the case. Yeah, my, yeah and, like... I think that makes sense. That's pretty much my theory too. My my thought is just that like, it's li- like Republicans literally only need a net gain of one in the Senate, right, right. To, to take a bag. And so it's like, even if the Democrats do overperform at the House level, all it takes is one poorly run Senate campaign 
um, for things to change. Like, they're like Vermont is so weird that like it's not out of the question that like a third party spoiler runs and like ruins the Vermont Democrats' chance of winning. Right? right? Like, it's not out of the question, right? Um, you know, it could be a situation where like Warnock and Cortez Masto and Kelly all hang on. But uh oh, we we realize that the non Kristen challenger to Maggie Hassan is actually more powerful than right. we thought, and she loses. Right? Like it, it all it, it all it takes is one. And so it's like I said, even if the Democrats overperform in the scenario you described, I just think that it's it, it it like you just you just can't count it out. It's probably it's certainly the least likely of these scenarios, but it's the thing you can't ignore happening. Sure. So what odds did you give this of happening? Right? <laughs> A whopping 2%. Interesting. I gave this, we don't give uh, 0% in statistics, but we give less than 1%, <laughs> which is effectively 0%. Um, so very low. Uh, mm. What would this, <laughs> for what would this mean? I just wrote down the like shrug emoji. <laughs> uh, like, I guess it means the Democratic Party are miracle workers, but like not in a good way. I don't know. <laughs> How... <laughs> what would it mean if this happened um <laughs> it would mean there was a glitch in the yeah matrix. yeah it'd like, be very odd yeah it, it it would just mean that um sean patrick maloney is better at his job than we thought and gary peters is worse <laughs> at his job than we thought right like which would not surprise me gary peters is like kind <laughs> of bad at his job yeah um yeah i, I think i think it would just mean that um it it would almost be comfortably comfortingly weird to me i don't know like the fact that like something so strange would be able to happen in such a polarized age like there's there's something kind of like sure it makes it makes me think that maybe we're, we're, we're sort of like entering a a more uh i don't know what i'm trying to talk myself into now but uh yeah it would it would just mean that um, I, I think it would just mean that like uh, both parties are good at gerrymandering and almost too good at it in the Republicans' case. Because what the Republicans are doing, they haven't really focused on cracking um, Democratic uh, seats so much that they have just been like sort of entrenching and ensuring that their seats right. are stay more Republican. And so I think in a way it would just mean that they were too good at doing that, that it essentially cost them pickup opportunities in certain states. And the Democrats played it smartly so that they were able to sort of, you know, game like the Nevada and Oregon maps in, a, in such a way that made it more optimal for holding on to stuff. So, yeah. right. All right, let's move on to the last and final scenario. That's redundant. Last and final. Uh, that is the red wave sweeps the nation. Republicans take control of the Senate. They take control of the House. And they could be coming for you. Uh, how did that happen, Mike? How did that happen? Well, I mean, it happened because Biden's poll numbers are bad and Things haven't gotten better, and the red wave everybody thought was going to happen happened. Um, I don't necessarily think I, th- I I don't see a sixty three seat swing like you saw in twenty ten. I just don't know that there are enough swing districts for that to happen anymore. I think you're probably looking at closer to like a probably around like twenty five to thirty seats, probably forty at the most, um, which would still obviously be a lot. That's a but lot. I. <laughs> But but it, it would not. But people. But by people, I mean 
idiots on Twitter are just like, oh, it's going to be like an 80 seed swing. It's like, no, that is <laughs> not going to happen. Oh, um, and, you know, the Senate seat just means that 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 red wave in the House just swept up a, a Senate candidate. Right? It, right. it would not be very hard to see that happening to any of the many vulnerable Democratic senators we've already listed off. And you just got to pick off one. Exactly. It's not like great. No. It's almost the least exciting scenario, right? Or it's just, even though it would have the most change, um, you know, we'd, we'd get to see who's chairman of like Every committee gets a new chairman. It'd be very exciting. But mm-hmm. the odds are certainly better that... This is like the Republicans outside straight, right? It's like you... If you have picked up control of the House, you only need to pick up, pick off, you know, Warnock in Georgia, Cortez Masto in Nevada, uh, or Kelly in Arizona. And it's like, there's a pretty good shot you pick off one of them if you've got, like, a pretty decent House margin of, like, 30, maybe 20 seats. Yeah. Um, and it's like, at that point, you, you know, it's not like the Democrats really picked up. It's not like they were able to pick off... Uh, anyone in wisconsin or pennsylvania or north carolina it's just it it's not very exciting it's just like okay democrats did like a fine job and they lost like a senator or two mm-hmm. um but they lost the house and it does not matter mm-hmm. um do you want to do, do you have any prediction for which democratic senator is most vulnerable i actually think it's Catherine cortez masto interesting i, I because I, I I'll I think that uh, Warnock um, Kelly Warnock and Kelly I think are more likely to face like a, a more problematic nominee which is not to say that like Adam Laxalt is like necessarily um, a mainstream Republican per se yeah but I just think that like like Herschel Walker like you know he, he has zero political experience and is very much endorsed by Trump and in Arizona, it's you have Mark Brinovich, who literally was like one of the faces of the lawsuits trying to overturn the 2020 election. Or we have Blake Masters, who, again, is Trump's choice. And I just think, you know, if you're a state that voted against Trump, it stands to reason that you might not react well to a Trump-endorsed candidate. Right. Um, and Laxalt is more of a known quantity in Nevada. He was attorney general there. And I think that... Uh, Nevada, I think, was closer than a lot of people thought it would be in 2020. At least, it was closer than I thought it would be. Yeah. And I could, I could just, I could just see that uh, domino falling. Yeah, you just have a lot of crazy people in Nevada. <clears throat> yeah. Um, <laughs> this has been Lars reporting on the ground in <laughs> Clark County. Um, yeah. Do you have Do you have a prediction for like the most vulnerable Republican senator? Or easiest pickup? I think easiest pickup's probably Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. I don't actually know that that's... E- Maybe, like, Dr. Oz is the nominee. I mean, yeah, easiest is a relative term. Yeah. I think of Pennsylvania is that, like... Um, like I said, I th- as I said in our, like, wrap-up episode, I think Fetterman has the making of a star. Yeah. Um, and I also think that that's going to be, like, a nasty primary in Pennsylvania, I think, because there's yeah. so many people running. And I uh, I saw something where there was, like, a... Pennsylvania Republican Party straw poll that happened and it was like a very divided outcome and also Dr. Oz got exactly one vote so yes yes I saw that too straw um, polls don't mean anything but no yes. they mean absolutely nothing but that's interesting I think can just yeah. consider like to me one vote is notable right right like, who cares if you win if you only get one vote I think that actually says something right um yeah 
Uh, what what odds would you give the chance of the red wave, Mike? Forty six percent. Wow, we are we are pretty on the money. I said forty five percent. All right. Um, very interesting. And you know, red wave happens. What does it mean for the country? For the Democrats? For the Republicans? I mean, it it puts much of Biden's agenda on ice. Um, it probably means lots of hearings honestly about nothing um and it means people will get very 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 nervous about what will happen in 2024 as far as the presidential results being accepted i actually think if this happens though it is the best indication that biden will win re-election why because it just shows how swingy uh not how swingy but how pendulumistic the Mm -hmm. the elections are in america it's like if, if if Trump like lost massively in 2018 his majorities, I mm-hmm. see him like kind of being stronger in 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that makes sense, I see what you mean. Yeah, well, it, it kind of it's it, it's almost it's, it's it is. I I know I said that the the wait what scenario is comforting, but it, it's 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 weirdly comforting in the sense that it's like ah politics has become predictable once again, right? right? Like this is not a surprising outcome. Right. And we've seen this happen, uh, like I said, with Bill Clinton and with Barack Obama, and they both ended up winning re-election. Yes. I mean, Obama did not lose That's true. He lost the Senate. Yes. Uh, yeah. Until four years later. But yes. I mean, yeah, it, it, would, be, it would be a rebuke. Uh, I think it would, Republicans would feel really good, but then they'd have to, like, do stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't think Republicans are actually very good at doing things in Congress. Well, that's the thing, right? Is they don't really have an agenda. <laughs> and, like, the, some of the people they would be electing in this scenario where they've won control of the Senate and the House, mm-hmm. like, I, I was kind of having this this argument with a relative recently where it's like, like, between you and me, Democrat, like, Marjorie Taylor Greene is like, Democrats kind of want her to stay there. They're not going to put oh, a lot yeah. of money into, yeah. like, getting rid of her. Which I'm not saying mm-hmm. he's good, uh, but if you are a democratic strategist, like she is your dream come true. She raises probably more money for the Democrats than any of their members of Congress. It's true. Um, and the, and the, I mean, this would also happen in the, in the 2018 inverse, um, thing. Kevin McCarthy, as speaker of the house. Yes. Uh, as someone just ex- like described him to me once, he does whatever he has to do to survive the next 10 minutes. Like right. he is not a man of conviction. <laughs> Um, and I, he has, I think the opportunity to, uh, like he, he, he honestly implode as speaker of the house. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a little bit of like hyperbole, but it's like, that will be a very difficult Republican caucus to manage for him. And I, he just like, if John Boehner can't do it with like a, a more normal Republican caucus, then I don't have a lot of faith in Kevin McCarthy to do it either. Yeah um fair enough so based on the average of our surprisingly close probabilities i thought we'd be a little more different there you know nine percent status quo we're saying about 44.5 percent the 2018 inverse we're giving a one percent odd to the wait what scenario uh and we are giving a 45.5 percent odds to the red wave which is our uh highest so we are predicting Republicans will almost definitely take control of a chamber. Yes, and I think so. Most likely both. 
or mm -hmm. perhaps not, but 46 <laughs> percent. Um, does this feel roughly in line with what other experts and models have kind of been saying? I, I think from our house standpoint, yes. Mm -hmm. um, I think you and I are probably a little more bullish on Democrats in the Senate than most things I've seen. I would say so, yeah. Which I understand. I mean, I, um, I think it's just the lived experience of 2018, mm -hmm. um, and that we like follow this <laughs> mm -hmm. a lot. Um, betting markets are currently saying roughly 72% odds of Republicans taking control of the Senate, um, mm -hmm. which is the odds they give. They give 84%. Uh, Republicans will control the House, and they give also 72% chance that Republicans will control both the House and the Senate. Um, <laughs> for those wondering, uh, they give 6% odds to Democrats controlling the House and Republicans controlling the Senate. <laughs> um, fantastic. So there is your top-line overview. Like I said, you can look forward to a lot of good midterm stuff from your boys this year. <laughs> Um, so let's end this episode, Mike, with, uh, in our lifetime. You ready for this? Sure. So Mike, in the interest of, of congressional majorities and whatnot, will a party get a 60 vote supermajority in the Senate in our lifetimes? Ooh, that's an interesting question. So this... Um... For our listeners, this happened in the, uh, you know, 60s, 70s, Democrats had this. Um, and then for like a few months in 2009, because of party switching and special elections and like people dying and then getting reappointed and da-da-da-da-da, it's like they had 60 votes in the Senate with some independents under Obama briefly. I, I'm going to say yes, but not confidently. <laughs> okay. Okay. I do you think it will be the Republicans this time? Cuz that's kind of where I'm leaning. It's pro that's probably more likely. That's probably more likely. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean that that's definitely more likely. Um it it it's just we're it's you know we keep saying this but it's just it is such a polarized environment that it's hard. The thing with like so you actually think about that and it's like in order to have that majority it's like both senators from Arkansas were Democrats at that point, right? right. Um there was a Democratic senator from Louisiana. Um there were there was at least one from one of the Dakotas. I mean, just just things you just don't see happen anymore. <laughs> and but the thing is like okay, so if it's Democrats it's like Will they be able to win in those kinds of seats again, states again? It's like honestly, I don't know. But will there will there be a Republican senator from New Jersey? I mean, there hasn't been one since the '70s. Will there be a Republican senator from uh, you know any of the West Coast states? Honestly, that feels pretty unlikely. It just it's just really tough to to. I guess I I don't know. I I'm, I'm gonna yes, probably the Republicans are more likely, but. I and I, I I'm making a very good case for this to not happen again, even though I said it would. You are, um, but it, it, I just you know who the hell knows what politics can look like forty years from now. You know I can't, I, I can't I can't just blanket say no. It's never going to happen again. Or fifty. We could live a lot longer than forty years, Mike. 
Yeah. Um, sure. I, I'm going to go with a soft yes. I mean, you're, you know, the the opposite of what you just said is in that very weird map where Democrats had seats in Arkansas, South Dakota, and that's how they got to 60. You also had Republicans who had seats in Maine and Georgia and whatnot. I, you know, you could see a Democratic senator winning in Texas and in Kansas in like the next 20 years, I think. Um and probably not in Arkansas. I think you could see some switch back and forth. I also think you could see a Republican senator like winning in Oregon or in New Mexico eventually. I, you know, things could happen. Yeah, Who I'm knows? looking at. I'm looking at it now, and it's like you could see you could see you could see two Republicans from Arizona. You could see two Republicans from Georgia. Um, you could definitely see two Republicans in New Hampshire. So that gives you 56. You need four more. Uh, you could see... A Republican in Nevada. A Republican in Nevada. I mean, you could see you could see two in Nevada. Um, yeah. And you could, and you could see a, another Republican in Wisconsin, another in Pennsylvania or Michigan. I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's totally possible. Okay. I've talked myself back into this. <laughs> 50 years. We got time. Mm-hmm. So we're both a soft yes. Yeah. So we will end with that. Thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, let us know what you think on Twitter. You can find and follow us at The Post Writer. Or you can write to us at our email address, contact at thepostwriter.com. We want and like hearing from you. So come chat with us. Let us know who you think the most vulnerable senator is. Uh, Politics Express is a postwriter podcast brought to you by thepostwriter.com. And you can check out stuff we work on, things we've written, our other podcasts, and more over there. Welcome back to Politics Express for 2022. Happy midterms. And my thanks, of course, to Mike for joining. Thanks for having me.